Chapter 22 Applying the Principles to Any Business The principles that have been given are universal, or at least we think so, and we have applied them through all our industries without finding it necessary to make any changes. However, there is always the feeling that since our industries are today comparatively large, they were always large, and that what we do is peculiar to large industry. In a way, that is true, but it is largely a question of scale. Our principles remain the same. To be specific, I have been asked, how would you apply your theories of business if, instead of having a large plant making automobiles and tractors, you had but a small shop employing 25 men, which manufactured nothing that had to do with automotives? Or what would you do if you were in the retail business, with a store doing, say, $100,000 a year? These questions cannot be answered right out of hand or in a sentence, for the answer hinges on whether you regard yourself as committed to a certain size of business or to a certain policy of business. Size is only a stage. At one stage, your finances will let you do only this. In the next stage, you can do a little more, and so on. One can never reach the point where one may manufacture or sell in exactly the fashion that one would like, that is, with the greatest possible economy in every direction. As resources go, the Ford industries have large resources, but we shall never reach the point where whatever we happen to be doing cannot be improved upon. Size is purely an incident to the policy of manufacturing. It is nothing in itself. At first, we could do but little. Then, gradually, we could do more and more, and today we are able to do a great deal, although we have more ahead to do than we have behind us done. We are going forward all the time. A few weeks ago, a visitor who knew our plants rather well three years ago was talking with one of the executives. He mentioned some process familiarly. The executive did not know what he was talking about. Don't you remember the way you make that part? I think you showed it to me yourself. It was a new way that had just been devised. Well, how long ago was that? Just three years. You surely remember. Three years is a long time. A lot of things have happened in three years. There are many things that we are not doing today in the way we did them three years ago. Well, these methods are changing so constantly, not because we like changes for themselves, but because the firm policy of always striving to lower the price and raise the quality just naturally forces improvements. And size comes just as naturally, because the market is always broadening and requiring more goods. The question to ask oneself is not, what are the best methods for a man with a business like mine to adopt, but what am I in business for? Whither am I going? What do I want to do? If a man has 25 employees and intends never to hire more and never to do beyond a certain amount of business, then I should say that he is in a most dangerous condition, unless he is making a luxury, whatever a luxury may be. The small manufacturer is always in danger if he is not making as well as anyone in the trade can make, for he always runs the chance of a large manufacturer coming along with methods that permit him to turn a profit at a sales price less than the cost of the smaller man. That is not a misfortune, even for the man who is put out of business. It is the inevitable march of progress. The man who cannot or will not do business well has to drop out or learn to do business well. 
and it is only a waste of time and money for him to combine with others in an attempt to stop progress. An association to keep the incompetent in business will have just as great a chance for success as an association to alter the course of the sun. It is inevitable that the business of the country shall be done by very large companies which reach back to the source and, taking the raw material, carry it through the necessary processes to the finished state. Just as soon as a business gets beyond a certain size, the control of materials has to be absolute, for regardless of costs, it is not otherwise possible to avoid the stoppages of strikes or the advent of unskilled management. For what is the use of building a great plant and planning work with the utmost care if the plant may be made idle or the plans thrown out by some force, the control of which is in other and perhaps unfriendly hands? Each extension, however, depends on the need of the period. If you use a thousand tons of steel a month, it is not worthwhile to run a steel plant unless the steel you require is a special kind which is not made in large quantities. If you can make that thousand tons of steel cheaper than you can buy it, then you should make it. Or again, you may have to manufacture because you cannot depend on the quality of what you buy in the market. That has happened to us many a time. We have never manufactured a part or gone to the source of a raw material unless we rendered a service in so doing. We never make for the sake of making. This, I think, answers the question of how our methods might be put to use by the smaller manufacturer. It is not the method but the objective that controls. Your methods are formed by what you are trying to do. They do not determine your purpose. To my mind, it is starting wrong to put methods ahead of purpose. The whole subject of manufacturing and retailing divides into two classes, not according to size, but according to purpose. If the purpose be to perform the greatest possible service, which in a business way means doing all that is in one's power to manufacture or distribute the largest possible amount of goods at the least possible cost, then the methods will form themselves quite naturally and according to circumstances. If, on the other hand, one wants to get the largest possible profit regardless of service, then one is not in business, and there are no business rules which apply. It is just a matter of taking what one can take when one can take it. There is, however, another kind of business between the two extremes which ought to be mentioned, for it is perfectly honorable. This is the business which has to do with the filling of special orders, of one kind or another, where the buyer is under no necessity of paying the price asked by the producer. Jewelry is in this class, and so is what is called merchant tailoring. Some men would rather have their clothing made than buy it ready-made. Although with the present-day ability to fit anyone in ready-mades, there seems to be no absolute necessity for going to a tailor. Why should not the manufacturer, who makes thousands of overcoats, be in a better position to give you just the right coat than the man who makes only a comparatively few to order, and then mostly in the way that the customer directs, instead of in the way that the tailor's experience has taught to be best? But... Perhaps rather than classify business as luxury and necessity, for these words are almost meaningless or even misleading, it would be better to classify business according to its appeal. The appeal to the mass of the people is one kind of business, and the appeal to the class is another. The second kind of business cannot be very large, for its appeal is limited to not more than 10% of the population. First, take the second kind of business, the appeal to the 10%. 
It is just as good as any other sort of business, excepting that the area of service is sharply limited. There is not the slightest objection to high prices for quality, provided that the quality be given, and also provided that there be no effort to force only the high-priced goods upon the 90% of the people who can afford only the lower prices. Any business which directs itself to the 10% of the people may be large or small according to the degree in which it makes something that the whole 10% want. But at best, it cannot be very large for the customers are not there. As the price increases, the whims or special desires of the customers more and more rule, and the field of appeal narrows, so that the best way of making may have to give way to the customer's way, which probably will not be the best way. This sort of business is really more in the nature of personal service than business, in the sense of serving the whole people. Inevitably, it is a now-and-again sort of business, for its appeal is not to a large enough class to permit continuous quantity methods of manufacture. Take a familiar article, a watch. As a young man, my first plans for going into quantity production were centered about watches. Under the right manufacturing conditions and the proper design, a first-class watch which would keep accurate time could be made to retail at 50 cents. Probably 10 million a year of them could be sold, year in and year out. If the watch were made to sell at $50, quantity methods of manufacturer might still be employed, but the business could hardly expect to grow very quickly after the first few years, for the market of $50 watches is very much smaller than that for 50-cent watches. If the watch were made to sell at $1,000, then the customers would control the manner of production. A manufacturer could not afford to make a large line of $1,000 watches, and he would have to be prepared to make many of his watches to order, for a man paying that much for a watch would undoubtedly have special features in mind. He most certainly would not want all $1,000 watches to be exactly alike. He would be paying out some of his money, not for the watch, but to have something different from what other people had. Take another instance. A builder of small homes for the masses of the people, according to a fixed standard, might expect to grow to any size. A builder of office buildings could not, for each job would have to be separately considered. The point is that it is not size but intention that governs the methods to be adopted. Take the matter of clothing. That is a universal necessity. No one knows how much clothing the country requires. It all depends on the price. If the price be high, a man will wear his suit as long as he can. Buying a new suit will be on a par with buying a home or a farm. As the price drops, the purchase will be easier and easier to make, and when the price gets very low, even the poorest will buy clothing freely. In the end, it is the way that an article is made, and not the way that it is sold, that governs. And if a product requires an unusual degree of salesmanship, it is always a question whether the product is right. The question behind manufacturing is not, how can I best serve the salesman? It is, how can I best serve the customer? If you find the answer to the second question, then it is quite inevitable that you will also find the answer to the first question. For there is a conflict between the two ideas only when the approach is through the salesman instead of through the customer. One product is enough for any factory if it is going to grow large through service, and it is natural that the selling would be subordinate to the manufacturing. For if true business is serving the greatest number at the lowest price, 
then it is not logical to put mere persuasion above service. Salesmanship can, however, be as truly service as can manufacturing. Personal salesmanship and retail merchandising are, considered from the service end, much alike. Their problem is to get the goods from the manufacturer to the consumer in the cheapest possible manner. But the same principles hold. They merely have to be applied differently. The retailer who would perform the largest service must, like the manufacturer, study his market to see what it is that the largest possible number of customers will need. And just as the methods of the manufacturer are determined by the kind of service he wants to render, so are the methods of the retailer determined. If the service be to the masses, then the selection of articles to be sold will be limited to the low-priced, high-quality articles that appeal to the 90%, and the business will become large. The largest retailer can hardly be as large as the largest manufacturer because of the geographical limits imposed upon him. But at that, there seems to be no reason why retailers should not be many times larger than they now are. We have no really large retail establishments. But then there is a question whether size always makes for economy of handling in the retail establishment. It is doing anything in less than the best way, not competition, that matters. If we do that which is before us to do in the best way that we know, that is, if we faithfully try to serve, we do not have to worry much about anything else. The future has a way of taking care of itself. And to return to the opening question, the way for the little man to use the best methods is to get big. <laughs>